Guys in the back, we coming up on X so I can share this out with the fans. Once that up, I'll tweet that out to you guys. Got a few things to talk about before we get to some awesome guests here. Guys in the back, just uh, choller my ear when that's up, and I will throw that out to the fans. But hey, today's Groundhog Day. Being a podcaster feels a little bit like uh, like being a uh, Bill Murray locked in a movie. But Pucks want Phil. He uh, he made his big prediction right. Giant squirrel makes a big prediction. He says spring is coming early. He didn't see his shadow. There he is, right here. Also holding a nice sign. The problem with all of this, though, is Phil's accuracy rate over the time period was 36%. So since they've been tracking, it says over here, overall, the Stormfax Almanac says Phil has been right only 36% of the time going back to his first recorded prediction in 1887. Mike Feller says Phil is the Jim Cramer of Weatherman. <laughs> Good stuff. Hey, by the way, I got a little information yesterday from uh, Jim Gillis at IMC. One thing that we've been talking about a lot is hydrogen. What's going on with hydrogen fueling? Everybody's thinking about alternate fuels, BEVs, fuel cell EVs. Some people have said fuel cell EVs are the wave of the future. Very expensive trucks. You know, these things are over $700,000. When you talk to the companies, they don't want to give quotes. But what's it like to operate one? How much does it cost? Well, take a look at this picture right here. Uh, This is a picture of a pump that Jim that Jim Gillis took at IMC. He said, our testing shows 10 miles per gallon uh, per kilogram consistently and a 20 mile and a 20 minute refuel rate for hydrogen, which is really good. I mean, the refuel rate is good. The mileage isn't great because I'm going to tell you the cost is on that pump. As you can see, it's $16.45 a kilogram. So we're looking at what, $1.64, $1.65 a mile. By my math, it would cost $825 just to go 500 miles in fuel. That's really expensive. We're going to need to get a lot closer to cost parity because let's say you've got a diesel, right? Let's say that's diesel's $4 a gallon, right? You get eight miles per gallon. You're driving pretty well. That's 50 cents a mile. So that's only $250 compared to, what was it, 825 bucks? Pretty expensive. This tech's going to take a while to mature. I'm not sure how they get the cost down, but I will say I do like that lower fueling time, like 20 minutes. Pretty good where they're getting that. Some big news, too. This is maybe the thing I'm most proud about on maybe the thing I'm most proud. Oh, here we go. Getting this out to social right now, too. Maybe the thing I'm most proud about in doing this show is a message that I got in November 25th, 2022. And I'm going to read it to you in one second. Let me just get this out. I have ADD. My brain only works one way at once. Thank you for your patience. Okay, so I got a message from a former guest, and he says to me, hey, Dooner, I have, and this is November 25th, 2023. He says, hey, Dooner, I have a good one for you. Um, LOL. A little over two years ago, you had someone on your show, a girl. I'm not going to name them yet. They may come on this show. I'll tell you a little bit more when they do. Uh, And she specialized in moving a certain good out of the West Coast. I watched the show and connected with her on LinkedIn as I specialized in moving West Coast freight. We started, we stayed in contact, and now we happily live together and recently bought a house. Odd, Odd ways how freight brings people together. Then just yesterday, he sent me another DM, and it says, hey, man, how are you? So you're going to officiate the wedding. Congratulations, you two. What the truck has made a love connection. Two former guests have got married. I want to warn all my guests on today. You might end up married. Someone might see you on here. You'll get propositioned. You don't know. And you know what? He asked me to officiate the wedding. I got to do it, right? We're partially responsible. I've never officiated a wedding before, but I'm really looking forward to it. Congratulations, you guys. You ever, ever have a story like that from this show? Tell me about it. That is so, so awesome. Um, Big thing, too, we got to get into here is the jobs report. Now, if you're in freight, you know, we had 12,000 uh, 12, people were fired at UPS. Flexport just had a bunch of fires. There's people shuffling all over the industry. Well, Heather Long, she tweeted, just in, the U.S. economy added a blockbuster 353,000 jobs in January, far exceeding expectations of $180,000. This is a really healthy economy. Unemployment rate, 3.7%. Wage growth, 4.5% in the past year, far ahead of 3.4% in Inflation. A lot of people calling out these numbers. They say we're getting gaslit here. First, like a grocery store. Inflation's way above 3.4%. But if you're on LinkedIn like I am, if you're in tech, people in tech, people in consumer goods, people in freight, all we're seeing on LinkedIn is our friends lose jobs. We're hearing about companies lose jobs. 
My FreightWaves editors, when they write headlines over here, writing about companies losing jobs, we're writing about shutdowns. It doesn't sound booming to us. Are we getting gaslit here? What do you think? Because what's interesting, too, is IO Aircraft Incorporated says 100% of GDP growth is exclusively government expansion and the defense sector ramping up manufacturing for war. 20% of all durable goods manufacturing is just military. Private sector growth? Not much. Unusual Wells tweeted, the number of layoffs increased 98% compared with the previous year per the New York Post. What do you think? Is the economy booming? Are you hiring a bunch of people? Uh, do you feel safe and secure in your job? Do you believe this jobs report? Many of them have been revised after us. Oh, it's $180,000 less than we thought. We'll have to see. I'm not seeing it in freight. Hopefully some of you in your other industries are seeing things a little bit better. I just know that some of my friends have fallen on the sword during this. A um, couple of headlines check out on FreightWaves.com. A couple of big stories. One is auto strike dents PAMS transportation Q4. That was that big auto worker strike. They got busted on that one. Landstar says two more quarters to recovery. That's pretty positive. I'm going to have Thomas Watson on here next week to do a sonar market report. It's been about a week since we did one of those, and the spot market is looking better. So, hey, maybe that is a check mark for the economy. I'm not sure. Another one, Ryder buys Cardinal Logistics, significantly growing its dedicated business. Amazing article on FreightWaves.com, and maybe one of the most interesting ones, but also indicative of the market, especially last year, is C.H. Robinson's Q4 sees little improvement shift at the top of the brokerage. You can see their stock right there. Their total revenues were down 16.7%. Their average gross profits were down 19.5%. Their income from ops were down 34.5%. And their stock over the past five days is down 15.93%. Not loving the news over there. Want to take a second, <coughs> sorry, time to tip the band. Want to take, take a second to put something on your on your radar. Dynamic Logistics, because I got to say, they're doing logistics the right way. Their TMS software is saving shippers a significant amount of time and money. Check them out at Dynamic Logistics. That's logistics with an X, dynamiclogistics.com. All right, let's get to the rundown. On episode 677 of What the Truck, I'm joined by Skylo CEO and founder, Parsarati Trivet. Trivedi. Skylo is the leading direct-to-satellite connectivity service provider, and we'll find out how their service is bringing visibility and tracking to freight and fleets. Does InsurTech have a liability problem? Adam Barnett, chief underwriting officer at HGVI, is here. He's coming up next. He's going to tell us what is going on with insurance. We'll get a bunch of questions answered from him. And we have a new founder coming on, Freighties, a gentleman who works over at Coyote. He launched his own apparel brand. It's called Freighties. They've got some really amazing designs. We're going to meet Jared Gill to learn why he started the business, if apparel follows the coyote curve, and uh, what tips he's learned from being in freight and starting a company. Maybe we can all learn something. Maybe we can get a side job in this economy. Plus, uh, trucking valets, the harsh reality of getting fired on the road, and more. But right now, Adam Barnett, Chief Underwriting Officer at HDVI, is here with us. Adam, you look great today. Where are you hanging out? Hey, Dooner. I'm in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, and uh, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you uh, for having me. Now, for people who don't know, quick elevator pitch on HDVI. Yeah, so HDVI is a data-centric insurance provider. Uh, we provide uh, insurance for small to medium-sized trucking businesses. Uh, the type of coverage that we offer is auto liability, physical damage, cargo, and uh, general liability. But what makes us uh, unique is that we use data, telematics, software, and services to, to help our customers uh, small to medium-sized fleets uh, identify uh, risk within their uh, fleet and, and mitigate that risk so that we can keep their insurance premiums down. And uh, we're the only insurance provider in the market that actually discounts uh, for risk mitigation um, in the middle of a policy. Very, very cool. Now, Adam, I um, we were talking insurance on the show a couple of weeks ago, and then I got a message from your colleague, Justin, and it went a little like this. He said, the past year has probably been the worst year on record in the last 15 years when it comes to liability losses and carriers, whether it be the standard market or insure tech space, and many are feeling the pain and taking rank. We've already seen two of the insure tech markets exit due to poor pricing or risk or other intangibles. This got me really curious. What is the state of an insurance and insure tech right now? Yeah, well, I would say, um, you know, it's a really, really difficult insurance market out there in general, right? So uh, we also saw a, a leading uh, traditional carrier in nationwide exit the commercial auto space. So commercial auto insurance as a whole um, has been struggling really over the last uh, 10 years. This past year, 
uh, was um, one of the roughest years. Uh, the combined ratio for the commercial auto industry was 110 uh, last year, meaning that for every dollar that an insurance company collects in premium, they paid out a dollar and ten cents in claims and other expenses. And that's been the story for the last decade. There's only been one profitable year in the last decade for the industry. Um, and in that year, uh, the insurance industry made one penny um, out of every dollar uh, that they collected insurance premiums. So it's a really broad problem. There's a lot of things that are, are causing it. The primary cause here is that claims costs have skyrocketed over the last 10 years. There's a lot of drivers. Uh, you hear about social inflation, things Things like nuclear verdicts, um, the average claim costs going up um, in fraud. Uh, of course, we have uh, monetary inflation, right? The cost of replacing a bumper um, has gone up significantly. And then there's what I would describe as on-road um, types of uh, factors, things like increased traffic or the crumbling infrastructure system and, of course, uh, distracted driving. Wow. So you mentioned something interesting there. You mentioned nuclear verdicts. We we hear that all the time. Is that the leading cause right now or is it fraud? Because we hear so much about fraud and double brokering. What's the bigger problem? Um, I, it's really a combination of all these issues. Um, you know, nuclear verdicts hit uh, a smaller group of, of clients. These are really, really, really big claims. But um, what it does is it increases the cost of insurance uh, for everyone. Um, and uh, it does so significantly. Um, you know, fraud, I think we've seen um, an increase in uh, just fraudulent accidents. I think another kind of factor in social inflation is really just the average claim is, is going up, right? And that is because we have, um, again, more expensive parts and such, but we also have more litigation um, in the environment. I think we're seeing some really positive uh, trends there where we have um, some really nice tort reform in uh, states like Florida and Texas, those things uh, will take uh, a bit longer to work their way into the system and, and hopefully reduce costs. But um, it really is a, a combination of all these factors that are causing uh, the cost of claims to rise so rapidly. You know, my dad was an insurance guy. He spent in marine cargo insurance. He spent his whole career in that field running a few offices. And uh, so I know what an underwriter is, but I'm curious what like it, like how that works, like especially in commercial trucking. How do you underwrite risk when you're evaluating a carrier? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think there's the traditional underwriter, which is going to uh, analyze um, a trucking company um, using traditional sources. So that includes things like reviewing the carrier's prior loss history. Um, it includes things like reviewing MVRs um, and trying to measure the quality of the drivers um, and those sorts of things. There's a new wave uh, coming, and it's driven by um, the availability of, of telematics. And uh, this is something that my company, HDBI, specializes in. Um, we believe that the traditional way of underwriting a risk and, and pricing a risk is uh, is uh, um, it's it's not as uh, clean of a picture of, of what the risk is. So, for example, if we think about a traditional underwriting uh, process, looking at a driver, we're going to look at the MVR and we're going to try to um, measure how many violations or accidents. And essentially, what that's telling you is how a driver looked on their worst day, right? You look at a three-year period and maybe you get one or two data points. Um, but with telematics, we're actually able to see about 100,000 miles of driving data uh, per driver per year. So we can see um, you know, a much cleaner picture of, of how, uh, how the, the risk of that driver, and we can price it better. And for the best, um, for better fleets, we're able to offer better pricing. Right. Because we can see very clearly that these are uh, better drivers. Interesting. You know, there's I hear from Tesla owners all the time that the cost of insuring their their EV keeps going up and can be expensive. Uh, do you do you insure any electric trucks? What's going on in that space at all? Yeah, we do not right now. So we primarily insure like smaller fleets. So, you know, anywhere from, you know, five to about 75 or 100 trucks. And uh, we don't see electric vehicles in that space uh, near as much. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they are more expensive to insure, right, because they're more expensive as a vehicle. They have different parts, right? And so getting new parts for those types of vehicles is going to be more difficult. Um, but, uh, you know, what, 
we are seeing with other tech adoption, like, uh, you know, things like uh, anti-collision systems on, on trucks is that um, they do make uh, the driver, uh, they can make the driver safer and they can uh, prevent accidents. Um, so it's, it's really helpful from a liability perspective. Um, from a third party kind of, uh, or, or a physical damage perspective, right, it is going to cost more to insure that vehicle because it just costs more to make that vehicle. Makes sense. Adam, what do fleets with traditional trucks, diesels, need to know about controlling both their costs and their risk in 2024? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, a lot of these headwinds that we're facing are, are not really going away. So um, the best ways to uh, keep insurance down are to, um, you know, uh, utilize uh, telematics is, is a great tool, right? These telematics uh, ELDs and, and cameras are, are telling fleet owners, um, you know, how, how well they're performing, right? So you're able to benchmark yourself um, and, uh they're telling you uh, what behaviors um, in your fleet you do really well at and which ones you um, have opportunity for. And so it could be telling the fleet owner that um, speeding is an issue for their fleet or, or harsh braking, uh, these sorts of things. I would pay attention to this data. These are leading indicators, right? And they can help prevent accidents from happening. And that is really the goal here. I would also, um, you know, counsel fleets to um, use, show their telematics data to their insurance providers, right? Insurance providers, uh, there's a few of them out there that will provide discounts for uh, sharing that data. And if it's really, really, uh, you know, if it's good data, you're going to get a much better rate. So I think that is uh, really helpful um, in uh, keeping insurance costs down. Adam, I have, I have one last question for you. And it came up yesterday in the newsletter. This topic came up. There was a, a picture of a dock, and it was $25 for valet back-in. So if a driver didn't feel comfortable, they could spend $25 for a valet back-in. But some insurance guys yelled in the comments, I bet the insurance company loves that. So it got me curious. Would you be covered if you went to a warehouse, they had a valet back-in, the valet backs it in, like hits the dock or, or does some damage? Yeah, I, I would say there's definitely some exposure there, right? So insurance, um, in many cases, is going to follow the truck. So I see that as you're you're giving your keys uh, and, and your risk to someone else to handle. So I think um, that's a tricky one, right? Because it might actually help you if, if the driver is more comfortable, but uh, you also just don't want to be responsible for what someone else is doing in your truck. Yeah, that's what my dad always reminds me. He's an insurance guy. He's like, yeah, it may make it safer, but what does your policy say? <laughs> that, I mean, that's what you're going to have to. Uh, that's what you're going to have to answer to. But yeah, very cool. So people who want to learn more about HDVI, they want to control risk and insurance costs this year. Where do I send them to? Yeah, so if you go to HDVI.com, you can find um, ways to contact us. Um, we're, we provide our insurance through a network of specialist retail agencies. Um, so you can also just ask your agent um, to hear more about HDVI, and uh, you can find us that way, too. Adam, very cool, man. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much for giving us some insight on what's going on in this market. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great. Take care. All right. Meanwhile, love these dogs. All right, see, he's got a stick. I've got Labs. Labs very stick obsessed. My they're great because like they're the kind of like storybook dog you have in your head. You take them to the woods, you throw a stick, they bring it back. These two are playing and the stick kind of washes off over here. But uh there's a little plot going on over here. Look at this guy. He took the stick from them. He's hiding over the side and these two dogs are just lost in the water like where where did the stick go? Where did the stick go? You know what they need on that? If they had satellite tracking like my next guest provides. They would know exactly where that stick is. Let's talk to him. It's Parth Traviti. He's a CEO and co-founder of a very interesting company that's just come on my radar called Skylo. Hello. It's great to meet you, sir. Dooner, it's such a pleasure, and that's quite unfair. You, you have me going after such a nice uh, dog video. I tried at the end to just kind of like somehow wrap it into tracking tech. I don't know how I can top that. <laughs> so people who don't know, I cover like every month I do deep space logistics on NASA over here. So we always have a NASA show. We talk about deep space logistics. My audience is pretty familiar with, with space and how we're touching it. But what, what is Skylo for those who may not know? So uh, Skylo is a direct-to-device uh, satellite connectivity service operator. And in, in, if you think about it, 
Today, your satellite connectivity requires a separate device. It requires dedicated hardware in the form of either an antenna or a dedicated satellite phone. And what we do is we allow cellular devices, standard cellular devices, um, to connect directly over satellite without that extra hardware. And this has been possible with a new sort of standard in the telecommunication industry, which we're one of the pioneers of. Uh, and it's a service that we've actually launched commercially in North America and uh, Europe. Very, very interesting. So you're the co-founder. Why, like, when did the idea for this come to you? Were you you're just walking around the street like MIT? I think you went to MIT, right? Or you were at MIT? You're walking around the hall. You're walking around yeah. Cambridge. You're going, to, you're going to Kenmore Square and you're like, satellites. <laughs> I wish it was uh, that uh, lucid, but frankly, uh, I was at Stanford uh, after my time at MIT, and I was working with the the then director of the Space Systems Lab launching a satellite, um, and I was uh, the the mission commander for the satellite uh, program. And uh, you know, we we were debating why is it so expensive to communicate with our own bird. Uh, we needed this giant antenna that we had to install on our roof for uh, telemetry and tracking purposes. And, you know, it kind of struck us that there's companies out there that are making two billion of these devices, uh, of these smartphones and of uh, various other cellular devices. Why is it not possible to use the cellular chipsets and communicate over satellite? Because if you think about it, your phone today has Bluetooth, it has Wi-Fi, it has tap to pay, which is NFC, it has cellular why is satellite missing and what is it going to take for us to upgrade cellular devices and make them satellite compatible? And, and it turns out that we did we did a, actually a year's worth of research on the subject. There's three key ingredients that are needed. One is uh, the 5G chipsets. Uh, the second piece is satellites, obviously. And the third piece, which is actually the missing ingredient, is the entire software stack that allows uh, the, the chipsets and the satellites to talk to each other. Um, and that's what we decided to focus on. And, and it turned out, it was kind of counterintuitive to me, you didn't need to launch new satellites to make this possible. Oddly enough, the satellites were already there um, and the, the chipsets were already there. We did not need to go and respin the silicon or create new chipsets for this, but we did need to create uh, a new software stack that essentially acted as the brains of this network and allowed signals to be uh, decoded from very, very far distances. So how does it, like, cause we all have heard of like a, a satellite phone, right? Like, okay, I'm traveling. Maybe I need a satellite phone. I'm going out in the bush or, or hiking or something or a satellite GPS. And uh, now you're saying you can just use this. H how did you, without adding anything new to here, other than some software, how do I connect this to a satellite? So the first step was we actually spent about three years working with the chipset companies, uh, Qualcomm, MediaTek, Sony, and most recently Samsung. We work with uh, the chipset ecosystem uh, on what is called the, the 3GPP cellular standards. You know, that's the, the common protocol which connects the entire cellular industry. Uh, and they define what goes into the protocol, uh, whether it's 4G or 5G or whatever's coming next. And we sat on the standards body uh, alongside the chipset companies. We contributed to the standard uh, and we created our own IP above and beyond the standard. And that allowed us to work with the chipset companies and allow the uh, essentially the unlocking of uh, a new protocol, uh, rather an extension of an existing protocol optimized for satellite connectivity. Uh, that was uh, uh, present within the correct cellular bands and so forth. And long story short, um, we we allowed the existing chipset without drawing any additional power from the mobile device uh, to uh, close that link over satellite. And the trade-off is obviously this is not a Netflix streaming service, right? The, the trade-off is this is a low bandwidth service. Uh, which allows the uh, back and forth of uh, text data. It allows the back and forth of location data, IoT sensor data, as you might have in the case of logistics and supply chain. Um, and, and just to set sort of realistic expectations uh, on, on uh, what made this possible, uh, there were obviously some trade-offs that we had to consider, but the, the huge overwhelming benefit was you don't need to carry a second device to be connected anywhere you go. So I was reading your site and it said that you're creating a non-terrestrial network. What, what is that? And, and how is Skylo enabling that? You've kind of told us a little bit by allowing these to connect, but what does the non-terrestrial network look like? 
think of it as a global planetary overlay. Uh, it's it's a uh, if if you could wrap the Earth in a bubble of connectivity that was ubiquitously present. Uh, that's an, that's what we're building um, is essentially. So when you're inside your home, you're connected to Wi-Fi. As you step outside your home, you're on AT and T, Verizon, or T-Mobile, your your cellular network provider. And as soon as your cellular stops working or you don't have coverage anymore, you switch to Skylo. Uh, and that's the sort of planetary overlay network that we're building. That's frankly present everywhere you go. How many satellites are up there, by the way? There's thousands of satellites, frankly. We don't use all of them. Uh, we have partnerships with uh, uh, a few of the major incumbent satellite operators. As I mentioned, we don't launch uh, any of our own satellites to do this. Uh, we're a software-defined, software-enabled company. Uh, but, you know, these satellites are extremely powerful. Uh, they've, got, they've got reflector arrays the size of a parking lot in space. And that allows you to have a huge ear in space, especially when you have a tiny mouth trying to speak from the ground. You know, it's it's really interesting. I was reading um, there was a report that the, the Houthis were looking to cut a big they were threatening to cut a big underground cable. You know, when we talk about data information, yeah. the stars, the Star Wars is really where we might need to go to protect ourselves from some of this stuff. But like, how does this apply to logistics? How would like a fleet or a shipper use this? What is this going to give them? You know, it's interesting, uh, I keep hearing the word resilience come up over and over again in when we talk about supply chain. Yeah. And, you, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head around having redundancies uh, in your in, in your in your physical supply chain and the in the atoms that you're transporting. Right. Well, you also have to have redundancy in the bits, not just the atoms. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, we think about connectivity as frankly being ubiquitous because wherever we live today, we're connected. But when we think about logistics, you're transporting containers, you're transporting pallets, you're transporting vaccines on a multimodal basis. And frankly, a majority of the time, you'll find that there is a lack of connectivity, a lack of being able to know where that asset is. Um, and that's the problem that we're excited to address uh, with many of our partners is how can they take advantage of this new network uh, and essentially roam onto satellite when cellular is not available? It's not like they have to change behavior uh, in, in order to use this new network, but how can they take advantage of it in, in geographies that were previously unconnected? Uh, and this is a huge problem for shippers uh, who typically find that in areas of uh, no connectivity also has a high correlation with areas where uh, the goods tend to grow legs. Uh, and so uh, there's a number of different challenges associated with uh, the supply, supply chain that can be addressed in not just terrestrial supply chain, but also the maritime supply chain, frankly. This sounds fancy. We're talking about satellites. We're talking about space. We're talking about beaming things down. Is, is, this, it, like, is, is this cost effective? Like how, like how would you bring this into your network? How does, how does sort of the, the financials of it work? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, it, Today, when you think about satellite connectivity, you know, the, the precedence is that you're paying about $1,000 for your hardware for, you know, call it a satellite phone or, or something of the sort. Uh, or if you're, let's say, a, a shipping company, you, you might be familiar with uh, tracking devices, which are also equally expensive uh, over satellite. And then you pay quite a lot of money, about $50 a month or something like that for satellite connectivity, um, even for a simple IoT tracking use case. And that's typically been the case because traditional satellite protocols were not designed for hundreds of millions of devices to connect, right? The, these, are, these are protocols that were designed uh, primarily for DOD use cases, if I had to be honest. Um, and, and so we uh, came in and uh, with the tech stack that we built, allowing the existing cellular devices to connect, frankly, we brought the hardware cost down to zero because there's no new antennas or new hardware that you need to use for, for satellite versus cellular. If you have a cellular asset tracker, uh, for instance, we've connected cellular asset trackers with a simple firmware update, uh, and that now becomes a satellite device. Uh, and on the, on the sort of monthly recurring basis, our plan is not to go to customers, uh, meaning the end users directly, because they today already have a cellular plan in most cases. Um, and that means that there is already someone, uh, maybe it's a telecom company or an MVNO providing connectivity to them. Uh, we go through those partners, through those channels. And 
act as a roaming partner to the terrestrial operators. So as a, as a logistics company, as an, as an enterprise, you don't need to change your billing relationship with your existing provider. And on a cost basis, this is not, I mean, frankly speaking, it's, it's, it's not as um, sort of as inexpensive as cellular, but it's not as expensive as satellite either. And we're talking about, you know, single digit dollars uh, for connectivity um, on a monthly basis that gives you ubiquitous access. So it's wow. orders of magnitude reduction in cost if I had to look at it. You know, here's an interesting, here's a question from the comments. And I kind of assumed one of these would like, would, would come up because people are familiar with Starlink. They hear about Starlink all the time. How is this different than Starlink? Well, the, 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 the Starlink service that you're familiar with today requires, and similar to the OneWeb service and the other satellite home internet services, does require you to buy a dedicated terminal. Yeah. That is designed for a broadband use case, which is phenomenal when you need hundreds of Mbps when you're sitting in your camper van or when you're in your, in your mountain lodge in Tennessee. But uh, here we're talking about a, a critical layer of connectivity where you you may not have the real estate to install an antenna. Frankly, you may not have the budget to install an antenna either. Um, and for high volume use cases, as is typically the case when you're tracking a container or a pallet, you know you need access to power 24 by 7. You need to plug that thing into the wall uh, and it physically tracks the satellite as it moves across the sky. The reason it does that is it's a broadband connection in very, very high frequencies, which typically cellular devices are not compatible with. Uh, and so what we did was we worked in mobile frequencies between 1 and 3 gigahertz as opposed to over 20 gigahertz, which is what Starlink works in today. Uh, and that allowed us to essentially make no change to the device um, and that was the first piece. And then the second piece was optimization around ensuring that you don't need to plug the device into the wall uh, in order to transmit data. Uh, you can actually run our service over a solar-powered asset tracker today. Hell, I'll give you a, a more extreme example. We connected a wearable device with a 300 milliamp hour battery, uh, and it was able to send a 1,000 pings over our network before the battery died. And that's only 5% less than its efficiency over cellular. It actually drew more juice searching for a cell signal than connecting and sending data over our network. Wow! So that's not possible. That's not possible with the with the uh, uh, sort of uh, broadband services that you mentioned. Do you have like commercial clients using this right now? How how is it being used? Yeah, absolutely. So we have we have two uh, verticals that we we uh, uh, serve. One is the consumer segment, uh, which perhaps is less relevant. Perhaps it's, it's somewhat relevant to this audience. But um, you know, we serve wearable devices. We serve smartphone companies. There's Motorola smartphones, for instance, in the market. There's uh, new smartphones coming out from the Android community uh, that will be powered by our network. Uh, for instance, you're you're familiar with. Uh, uh, perhaps the satellite SOS uh, capability on the iPhone 14 and 15. Um, and we've, we've enabled a two-way messaging service. We've launched SMS now on the network last week uh, on capable, uh, compatible Android devices, which are certified on our network. Um, and we're doing this uh, for the consumer use cases. Um, in, in, in all of those use cases, also we're partnering with different carriers. For IoT market, which is frankly what uh, your audience will be interested in, uh, for connectivity for trucks, for cars, autonomous vehicles, for all of the above, um, we work with the major carriers. As an example, Deutsche Telekom uh, is our customer and partner for the European market. Uh, we're collaborating with a number of companies for the US market, uh, such as Flowlive uh, and others who are focused on supply chain and logistics. Um, and we work with them where our service becomes a seamless extension of their existing network. Uh, it's their SIM, it's their existing rate plan and their customer. Uh, we work with uh, uh, the, the different chipset companies, as I mentioned, and ensure that all of the IoT modules from Quectel or Murata that go into the asset tracking devices that you're familiar with all support our network and are certified on our network. And then you actually don't need to do anything different uh, on your hardware side to get access to the connectivity. You go to your existing service provider and ask for Skylo. 
You've already solved a big bottleneck by not having to stand up a bunch of proprietary devices. I know truck drivers, for example. You mentioned Starlink. You need a you need the satellite device to put in there. I remember some of them were waiting a year and a half to get their Starlink, and they they have it. It's great on the road, but that having to make that proprietary device is can be a big issue. But what do you see like the future of the tech? Is it is it more data across the pipe? How, how exactly is this going to develop as we move forward? Actually, we're just scratching the surface of it. Uh, we've, we've not even, uh, you know, deployed this at uh, any kind of uh, scale yet, which is what this year is all about. 2024, we're, we're super excited by the scale of devices that uh, we see coming online on our network and the usage. Um, and, you know, I think uh, in terms of how this technology advances and progresses, um, I think it becomes so seamless that you really stop thinking about terrestrial and non-terrestrial network as two uh, isolated or independent networks. Uh, with the advent of 6G, uh, frankly, I see, I see this becoming a single hybrid ubiquitous network where we uplift connectivity for everyone. And you don't have to think, hey, do I need to point my phone or do I need to you know, uh, think about, hey, when I lose cellular, do I need to switch to satellite? We're, we're, we're tackling all of those big challenges, which are very pragmatic, very, you know, you feel it in your everyday life as you're using uh, a service like this. Um, and so the first thing is, so just ease of access, ease of use, and serving those pragmatic use cases, which solve 80% of the customer's problems around, hey, I need to know where my stuff is, uh, and I need to make sure it's safe, and I need real-time access to my data. That's the first step. Uh, and then we're working on, uh, you know, we launched SMS uh, last week on our network natively uh, towards the end of this year. Uh, we have plans to bring in two-way voice calls on the network, which will also include the capability to do, to do images. Uh, so you will see a, a phased deployment of geographies uh, as well as capabilities uh, on our network throughout this year. You know, movie writers, are, they're not going to be able to hang on that trope anymore of being lost in the woods and no signal or you got to climb a mountain. You guys are you guys are ruining horror movies forever. It's awesome. I love it. Um, how do people reach out to you or the team and see if this fits into what they're doing now or if it'll make sense for them in the future? Well, your viewers are more than welcome to reach out to me directly, Parth at Skylo.tech, or uh, to reach out to our company at info at Skylo.tech. Uh, I'll, I'll be more than happy to personally uh, talk to uh, you know anyone who's interested and so forth and point them in the right direction. Um, and there are a number of different partners we work with. Chances are we already work with a partner who supports uh, an existing use case or an existing uh, uh, customer. Uh, and so we'll be more than happy to uh, help. Parth, very, very fascinating. Thank you so much for introducing Skylo to us and talking about the wild world of deep space logistics, satellites, and turning phones into satellite phones, just having to do nothing. It's awesome. I love to hear it. Thank you so much for stopping by. You have a great weekend, and we'll check in with you later in the year, see how this is how this has moved forward. I love it. Thank you, Dunner. Appreciate take, it. Take care. Very cool. Very good. The world's getting very, very strange. I was also just reading, there was just a report that they're starting to add robot wranglers to sites that have robots on them to prevent like human standoffs with the robots. I don't know if that's like the robot confronting the worker in the warehouse or the worker is upset at the robot. So they're confronting it. But either way, they, they like need robot mediators. Now, if you're looking for like a new profession, it's a brave new world. Maybe you'll be a robot mediator. Let's tip the band. Dynamic Logistics gives you total control of your entire shipping operations. Live location and status updates every 15 minutes and the ability to combine multiple orders into a single load, leading to significant savings. Check them out at dynamiclogistics.com. That's logistics with an X. All right. Jared Gilmore. Gilmer, he's the founder at Freighties, and he's here with us right now. Jared, what's up, my man? Not much. How are you doing, Mr. Dooner? What's happening, man? Fellow X-user, are you over? You're over in Knoxville, are you not? Over in Knoxville, yeah, just north of you guys. Knoxville, Tennessee. Crazy. And now you're getting yourself into the apparel game. You've got some freight experience under your belt, and you started a new company called Freighties. What is Freighties? Freighties, um, I'm just making T-shirts for people who love freight, you know, um, keeping it simple. Um, you know, I started in freight uh, two years ago. I had no idea anything about logistics. And... Um, you know, I got hired on in a large third-party broker, um, and I just, my eyes were open to this uh, subculture, this world of freight and logistics and trucking. Um, it's, it's like its own, its own subculture. And um, a lot of the humor and uh, the jokes that are, the, you know, the, um, 
the inside baseball in the freight uh, industry. Um, I'm just trying to latch on to those jokes and bring them to um, bring them to your your outerwear. Um, you know, freight people are often really um, really humorous and you know very down to earth people, and uh, so I just want to give them the ability to you know kind of just have fun with with the industry and uh, you know get a few laughs. That's really what it's all about. Just having fun and um, no, I just hey, wearing fun clothes, you know. Hey, hey, man, I hear you. I've been, you know, I've been chopping down a lot of weeds. When when I first got here, started making a show like What the Truck. Nothing like it really existed. Everything was like uh, webinar audio stripped, and then like called a podcast. There was like three other ones out there, and I took a completely different take because I've worked in this industry, so I know how people are, so I can actually talk like them and 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 know what they like. And humor is big. It's huge, super stressful field. Whenever I have like the meme lords on here, I'm like, hey, what do you think about your memes? Like, I, I myself am a meme lord, so it's not that hard of a question but it people are stressed out they went straight out of elk grove that's where all the double brokers are we talked to the insurance guy insurance yeah. rates are through the roof <laughs> what are you gonna do cry about it or wear a funny t-shirt yeah exactly you know get one of those mugs you know i've got one that says uh honey i shrunk the margins um <laughs> right now that's you know for freight brokers that's a that's a that's cuts straight to the heart but you know you might as well laugh about it it cuts yep. you know it cuts through the pain a little bit now, what is like, tell us a little bit about like the store. What is your sort of, what is your supply chain look like? So um, store right now, it's just, you know, fully e-commerce, um, you know, no physical store whatsoever. Um, I'm hoping eventually I want to bring like the printing in-house and do all the printing and stuff myself. Um, but right now I'm working with a manufacturer to uh, print the shirts and get them shipped out. But um, yeah, I'm basically working on the designs myself and getting them over to the manu manufacturer um, to get them made up and shipped out for people. What have you learned about picking a manufacturer? How hard can that be when making apparel? Like, what, what, what kind of research did you do? How did you select what you selected? Um, you know, a lot of I spent a lot of uh, late nights looking up on the uh, on the internet, just uh, looking around trying to figure out, um, you know, what other people in like the e-commerce apparel field uh we're going with and how they did it um but yeah it is there's so many providers out there so many printers and um it, it does get a little bit overwhelming um but i i tried to find one that would be able to give me the most options as far as um you know what kind of what kind of products and offerings that i could do you know we do mugs now t-shirts um sweatshirts i'm stickers i'm working on hats right now um they'll be like kind of embroidered hats uh so that'll be pretty fun but those are coming down um but yeah it is a very you know there's a lot of uh a lot of choices out there it so. seems like there's a there's a few models that that people follow one is sort of the rise of print on demand which is you know you put a little shopify site or something you never actually touch any shirts you never really see any shirts some company makes them uh most convenient but also least amount of margin probably right then you have like right. the middle tier where someone prints all this stuff for you you negotiate on those terms and they may either drop ship for you or you have a warehouse and there's the one where you're capturing most of the margin but you got to make the biggest investment because you got to buy a printer right and you got to find a space to put all of this junk in what what is the uh which one do you strive for the most yeah i i really want to do um i want to get printers and you know i want to buy up the inventory myself because um you know this is kind of like um i i guess sort of like a, a pet project for me um i've always wanted to start a business always wanted to be an entrepreneur and so i'm kind of using this as a i don't know kind of like um um testing of the waters just to figure out how to run a business, how to start a business. And so, you know, I want to buy a printer and um, I want to actually manufacture it myself and make it myself because I feel like that's kind of the next step in growing the business and having more of a, um, you know, more hands-on into my product. Is there a coyote curve to apparel? What's more volatile, the freight market or apparel sales? Well, um, you know, right now it feels like definitely uh, there's volatility and I that's probably because, you know, people are kind of strapped for cash. I don't know about anyone else, but um, I felt the I felt the grocery store uh, receipt get a little bit uh, larger these days. You know, it seems like every day I'm spending a little bit more at the grocery store. So, you know, 
um, apparel is definitely one of those things that's it's um, you know it's discretionary. Um, you know, if if you can't afford a T-shirt, you're probably not going to buy one. But so in a down market, it's definitely going to be harder. But I hope that you know I'm working on a, finding pricing models to be able to get people to be able to afford them. Um, because you know, at the end of the day, I just want to see people wearing these shirts because I love them and I think they're fun. I think they're fun too. You sent me some for Christmas. Thank you very much, a little cowbell for you for that one. I have a I have a question for you though. You've 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 been running the store for uh, a few months now, right? What have you learned yes, so far? What, what have you learned so far? And is there something unexpected that's come up that you're like, wow, I did not anticipate that one. Um. So um. So probably the biggest thing that has actually taken the most time is just making the website myself. Um, because you know, that's another thing I, I didn't want to hire somebody to do it because I figured I might as well learn how to do it myself. And so there was definitely a big learning curve to try and figure out how to set up a website. Um, I used, um, you know, one of the popular, uh, I used, let's see, um, I'm blanking on the name. I used one of the popular sure. website builders, but, um, it was still a huge learning curve in trying to figure out how to integrate everything and get it all set up so that, you know, if you go to my store, you can actually buy something and it would actually, you know, it would actually charge you and it would put the order in and I could get the order fulfilled. So that was definitely the biggest uh, hurdle that I had to face. You know, the biggest lesson I learned when starting a podcast was uh it was as much about learning to be a good podcaster as it was learning to be a really good social media marketer. Like that has been most of my focus has been social media marketing most of my career since I started this because otherwise you're invisible, especially in the podcast space. If you don't make a presence, nobody's going to know you're there. And I imagine Parallel's got to be so competitive because there's very little moat, right? There's very little moat. So how do you advertise? How are you bringing, like, other than coming on shows like this, how are you finding customers? How are you acquiring them? Yeah. So yeah, that's exactly what it is. I'm doing a lot of social media marketing, trying to, you know, I did dip my toes into the meme game, um, trying to get into that. Cause you know, again, it's all about humor and all about fun. So, um, you know, a lot of social media marketing and let me tell you, that's actually really exhausting. Um, it is kind of hard to, uh, be on social media and come up with stuff and like try and get your face in front of other people. Um, but that's, that's one thing I've been trying to do, um, you know, and beyond that, you know, cause again, it's an e-commerce store. So, you know, no one's driving down the street and sees a, a, a store that says Freytees on it and says, huh, I wonder what that is. You know, if, if you aren't on social media and aren't engaging with the community, you are invisible. So, uh, that's social media has been the biggest thing right now that I've been trying to use. How is your like TikTok game? Because I, I like like a lot of people who are selling apparel, they they go to TikTok, they go to Instagram. You know, you, you show some of the process. You have people wearing the gear. You show some of the merch off. You have, I don't know people in skits wearing the the gear. Are you doing anything like that yet? Um, I'm trying to figure out how to use uh, TikTok to show off this stuff. Right now, I've just been mostly posting memes, but you know, because I want to. I want people to actually be interested. I don't want to just say, Hey, here's a t-shirt. You know, I want to make it fun and interesting, but again, it's all just kind of developing, you know, an advertising strategy. And so that's what I'm working on right now. Would you consider this like a lifestyle brand, like a freight lifestyle brand? Because like in lifestyle brands, you really have to tap into a very sort of specific market and veneer to it and, and, and how people think. I mean, freight is a lifestyle. If you're, you know, if you are in freight, then you, that's, that is part of, you know, that is very much who you are. Um, it's, it's very central to a lot of people who are in the industry. So yeah, it's, it is a lifestyle brand. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a freight, if you're a freighty, as I like to say, um, you know, that's, that's, that's its own little thing. It's own subculture again. It is. What's your, what's your bestseller? What's, what's moving the most units? Um, right now I really, I'm selling a lot of the uh, synth wave ones. They're my personal favorite too. I think I spent the most time on them really wanted to get them, you know, looking cool. Um, I think, I don't know. They're just, they're just clean. So I hope people like them. 
One thing I would love to see, and and I've thought of doing it myself, I just don't have time to get into the licensing, would be someone to bring up some of the older logos too. It's very hard. Like I was looking for a New England Motor Freight hat, for example, and I had to get it like off Etsy, off some random person. I was like, oh, great. I found the shop though. Do they have a bunch of other like fallen flag or even current flag freight logos? And, you know, none of them did. None of it. It's very hard to find that, that sort of older stuff. Someone needs to bring it back. Yeah, the vintage. I, that's you know, I have uh, you know, I have a lot of uh, ideas, you know, brainstorming sessions that I've written down, and tapping into the vintage is one that I have uh, on my list to get into. Because you know, there's just something about there's something about something that's old and and gritty that, especially for you know, like trucking, there's you know, a rusted trailer. You know, that's just cool. Yeah. You know. Well, what's so. the harder job that you have now? Is it is it freighties or is it is it working in a brokerage or three PL? Um, yeah, the broker is definitely the harder part, <laughs> especially right now. Um, this is, you know, this is the fun one. You know, this is the one that I get to kick up my feet and, and have a good time with. Wow. You plan on like really stepping on the gas this year on this? Yeah, that's the plan. Like by the end of the year, I want to, I want to get, you know, I, I haven't really figured out what my attainable goal is, but I want to get a, a good, a good solid, uh, amount of sales. So. And the site's easy enough to find. It's Freight Tees, right? But just one T. So it's Freight, E-E-S, dot com? Yes, Freight Tees. Freight Tees, dot com. Today is Friday. We're going to look, look at some stupid videos and have some fun before I send you home. So hit the good news, bad news bumper. Stick around, Jared. I got some things to talk Sounds to you good. about. <laughs> How's the bad news and good news? All right, Jared. Bad news. You're at... You're at a challenging dock, and that was you crashing. No, bad news. You're at a challenging dock and aren't sure if you can back in. Show this right here. Good news. Some sites offer valet service. I covered this in a newsletter yesterday. It was uh, There was a Reddit post where someone posted this sign, and it seemed a little comical. A lot of people were dunking on it. And it's, it's On the sign, it reads, need help backing your truck in the dock. We now offer valet service, only $25. And initially, there were some comments on there, like, if you need someone to back your truck in, your CDL should be revoked. Uh, this is a product of poor CDL schools. But then a bunch of other drivers responded to my question. They were like, look, I've been to plenty of locations, which were, you know, they used to be for straight trucks. Now they're for now they're for 53 foot trailers. And it's very difficult for myself to pull in there. If such a service was offered, I would elect it. What do you think about valet backup service? Well, um, you know, it's like you said earlier, um, the insurance side of it is a little bit sketchy. You know, whether or not you really want to give the keys to your truck to somebody else is, you know, that's a scary thing. Um, but what I'd like to see is, you know, I, I want to see shippers and receivers really start to kind of, you know, shake hands with truckers a little bit instead of feeling like enemies sometimes. Um, so I don't know if you could, you know, hand the keys over to back in and, you know, go use the restroom or something. You know, that's a big deal with uh, with with facilities is, you know, truckers aren't allowed to use the bathroom. So, like, you know, if we can, you know, have a little more collaboration, that would be that'd be a good thing. Yeah, valets, make it a little more high class. You're going to like a four-star warehouse or a three-star warehouse. Maybe put a little bar in there yeah. too. I mean, they had a bar, they're driving. Well, like Mark Slack, he says, we have one bay that's pretty tight and some OTR drivers won't make the attempt. One of my shop guys will land it for them and we don't let them pull out either. So it's you're right too. It's sort of on the facility owner. If you know you have a challenging dock, well, you are you empower yourself, empower the driver, empower your team, make it a line of business, right? Maybe you can do those valets. Maybe you make everyone's life easier. The one concern is I did ask Adam earlier from HDVI if this would impact your insurance were you to crash into that dock. And it was interesting because at first he considered it and he's like, well, maybe the facility person doing it would actually mitigate your risk because they know the dock. But if they do get an accident, then again, they have the keys there in your truck and you know, you're going to have to deal with that. Yeah, I, I feel like you know there's pros and cons both sides there's there's risk either way so i mean if you feel confident backing into the dock you should probably do it yourself hey I'm, I feel. i'll show you something cool we're talking about driver training maybe it is a lack of training that you can't back in bad news you don't know how to drive and there's no valet service good news schneider city exists check out this little training facility schneider has and uh do you think you and i should uh see if they'll let us go down there and you know do a little pull-ins drive through some of these trailers look at that move he looks close you know i'd love to 
Have you gotten a chance to now? Like, I remember when I first started in freight, you said you've only been for two years. And like my first two years, it was kind of abstract because I was only really looking at documents and computer screens and I was clearing custom entries and doing dispatch, but I didn't really get to see freight. So I kind of took it upon myself to get a lot closer. I started visiting more warehouses. I started uh, visiting with more truckers. I started going to the port and I thought that was like really fascinating and helped sort of fill in the world. Have you done anything like that to sort of enrich yourself? You know, um, that is something I do want to do is, you know, I want to get behind the wheel of the big rig and, you know, obviously I'm not allowed to drive, but, you know, sit there and, um, you know, just get a feel for, you know, what the boots on the ground are really doing, you know, like truckers, they're the ones moving the freight, like at the end of the day, like, um, and so, you know, I do want to get in and get it, get my feet wet and see what is, what they're doing day to day, you know? Um, you know, what it looks like to be in a logistics yard or, um, you know, what it's like at a UNFI at 4 a.m., you know. Absolutely. Well, it can be dangerous out there, especially if there's not proper strap work. Take a look at this next video. Bad news, you're about to get crushed by a shipping container. Good news, it isn't a high cube. If that had been a foot bigger, this guy's not making it, is he? He's not buying free tees. He's not a customer anymore. Yeah, um, he definitely had a guardian angel looking out for him on that one. Jared, what's it? That you ever have a, a cl- that's a close call. <laughs> you ever have a close you, driving around Knoxville? You ever have any close calls in your car like that? You ever have a final destination moment? Well, you know, let me tell you, Knoxville drivers—they are there's something else. You know, just the other day, I just about got hit on the highway because I, you know, gave him a thousand feet before when I changed lanes, but he did not slow down. Still not as bad as Atlanta. Atlanta is just like I, I don't know. It's every driving style like imaginable all merged over like seven lanes. It's it's yeah. It's Atlanta's trip. not one I want to go to. It's not. You know, it's it's like Boston is like crazy aggressive drivers, but you can only go like two miles an hour down like ninety three. So when someone's squeezing in, you kind of have time to adjust. Everyone's super aggressive. But Atlanta, like every, they're going like ninety miles an hour cutting around you. It's uh, it it can be frightening out there. Speaking yeah, definitely. Of- um- you know, uh, I also grew up in Indiana and drivers yeah. out there, they're a little bit calmer, but I, I don't know. I think it's just, you know, it's countrywide. There's, there's crazy drivers everywhere. There is crazy drivers. Now, you know, we, we've talked so much about the market. You said brokerage is tough. It's tough on drivers too. Take a look at this video right here. Thank you. Super trucker. He posted hold, this hold one. On, Let's listen to this guy. Again. Yeah, we got somebody coming to get the truck. Uh, they disabled the truck. The owner said they want to, they, they said they transferred the load over. Why, why they disable the truck? Did you quit? Bro, I told you two weeks. Bro, I said I put my two weeks in. Uh, my sister said you already quit. Bro, I just told him I was putting my two-week notice in today, bro, for two weeks. Yeah. Hey, bro, man, bro, turn my truck on, bro. I don't know what to tell you, man. We already got some... Man, money. hey, I swear to... Bro, look at this, bro. Real, bro. I'm... Look at this bro, my s**t not Yeah, you got to call HR, man. Hey, bro, re- hey, bro, real s**t. If y'all don't turn my truck on, bro, when I get asked for the guy, I get back to Ohio, bro, I'm... <sighs> hey, don't worry. I'm, I'm, I don't s**t truck up, bro. You hear me? Hey, do what you got to do. You got somebody coming to get it. Man, right, I got you. Yep. All right, we can drop this. We can drop. Let's talk about this. Like, you're a remote worker. We see a lot of people on LinkedIn recently have lost uh, have lost jobs. And you know when they put the bullet in your head, I've gotten fired from a job. You lose the Slack access, like, instantly. The email access, instantly. They disable what you're doing. But you're usually at home with your laptop or you're at your, like, desk or you just left the office. This guy's, like, 300 miles out on the road, right? New, new tech, use that. We got to do better for drivers, don't we? Yeah, I mean, that is pretty wild. Just, uh, you know sometimes the the human aspect is a little bit forgotten in freight you know i mean he's a human person after all you know he does have to get home to you know maybe his family or whoever in ohio i mean or at least you know his bed yeah uh, well truck driver Reedwin safe former guest he said in the future the electric truck will lock you in the sleeper berth and drive to the nearest terminal while playing a holographic hr video listing the inventory you have to return when the video is complete you hear uh a certain carriers hold music it's a brave <laughs> new world my man yeah the you know uh the electric trucks you know i feel like at some point there's such a thing as too much tech you know yeah. i feel like some of the tr- some of the trucks we could keep a little bit more analog 
Silver Silver Fox says, if you give note, here's a lesson. If you if you give notice, be home first because if this is the game now, you don't want to get played. Yeah, I guess we get if you have the information now, be careful where you put your two weeks, or maybe don't put in a, you know, maybe don't put in a two-week notice anymore. I hate to advocate for that, but if they're gonna shut down your truck, you also have to protect yourself. Now there's two sides to every story. Maybe this guy was a bad employee, maybe he did something else. I'm not sure. We're just hearing one side, but it sounds pretty sad. But like that's kind of a sad thing to end on. So let's look at a quick Airbnb. Let's take a look at this, Jared. I think we should uh I think we should book this and film some content. Maybe we can put on some freight t-shirts. We get volume on yeah. the He kind of tells us about this. The top. So while we're going up, you should comment if you dare stay here. Save this video and send it to a friend who would never stay at this Airbnb. Now, see the almost container. there. At the top on the right is the main 20-foot container with a kitchenette. And then Beautiful. across from it, a queen bed surrounded in windows and a skylight for the most amazing stargazing. Then a wood-burning stove and across right, from drop it, a this. You into table. it, Jared? Should we go? I'm down. Uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of, is it Ready Player One that there's just like the shipping containers stacked up that everyone oh, yeah. lives in? Yeah. That's the new home. Kind of reminds me of that. Hey, we're out of time. Go check out Jared and Freight Tees. Go get yourself a shirt. Find me at Timothy Dooner. Take care and don't be a stranger.